Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hello, my awesome listeners. Welcome back to The Savior Said. This is our assignment for September 16th through 22nd, 2 Corinthians 8 through 13, God Loveth a Cheerful Giver. The introduction this week talks a little bit about our motivation for giving. What is our motivation for giving? Um, Because Paul, in this week's reading, he talks about every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So I started thinking about that as I went through the scriptures this week. Why do I give? Why do I do the things that I do? What is the purpose behind them? And the reason I think this is important is because purpose and being very purposeful about our intentions counts for a lot. And I think it might count for even more than we think it does. Um, I'll give you an example of that. If we look back at the Book of Mormon, we look at Laman and Lemuel, those guys... Yeah, we think of them as like the bad guys of the Book of Mormon. And yeah, they kind of set up some bad stuff. But they did do the right thing sometimes. I mean, they chose the right a lot of the time too. But what was their motivation for that? And did it create lasting change in them? And it wasn't something that created lasting change because it it wasn't in their heart. It was, as Paul says, it was grudgingly or out of necessity, not a purposeth in his heart a cheerful giver, right? And so when we're doing something, we need to take our intent into consideration. And so that was something I, was, I just was pondering upon this week that I wanted to share with you guys. But speaking of the Book of Mormon, if you have not seen it yet, the 2020 Book of Mormon materials for Come Follow Me are out at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. Go check it out. I am so excited for 2020 and the Book of Mormon. I think it's going to be a big year, and I'm really excited to talk about the Book of Mormon. Um, it is probably my most favorite book of scripture. Second would be New Testament, which is why I'm really excited that we talked about New Testament. We got to start out with that. So good stuff. Good stuff from Come Follow Me. You know I'm a big fan. All right. Jumping right in, though, to this week's assignment, the first one is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15 and 9, 5 through 15. I can cheerfully share what I have to bless the poor and needy. And they quote Jeffrey R. Holland. He said, rich or poor, we are to do what we can when others are in need. God will help you and guide you in compassionate acts of discipleship. If you are conscientiously wanting and praying and looking for ways to keep a commandment he has given us again and again. And that's going to go into something else I want to talk about a little bit later on. But we are conscientiously wanting and praying and looking for ways to keep a commandment. I like that phrase specifically because, and again, this is going to go into something I talk about later on, but it does not mean that we actually complete that commandment, but that our intent is there, that we are trying to the very best of our abilities to do what the Lord wants, and we are conscientiously wanting, praying, and looking for ways to keep that commandment. 
God will help and guide us. And specifically in this instance, he's talking about compassionate acts of service and discipleship. And so Paul talks to the Corinthian saints about caring for the poor and needy. And apparently the Corinthian saints at some point have been like really excited about this because like they started this whole big like giving campaign. And Paul's now like, okay, guys, so you are like really fired up about this. So I need you guys to actually like fulfill what you have started. You know, you had this great idea. I need you guys to follow through on this. And he's kind of trying to get them to follow through on sending money to the poor in Jerusalem. So that's what he's kind of got going on here. And then it asks you to go in and read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15, 9, 6 through 15, making note of principles Paul taught about caring for the poor and needy. And so pause. I want to take an aside here. Paul is really hard to understand, guys. Like, I have a hard time understanding Paul. So if you are struggling like me to figure out what exactly is Paul saying, one of the things that I would suggest a really great resource that someone in our Gospel Doctrine class mentioned in Sunday School a couple weeks ago is a book set called The New Testament Made Easier. It's by David J. Ridges, and it's you can find it at Deseret Book. You can find it at Amazon. I downloaded it on my Kindle, and so I really like it because it actually has the words of Paul, and then it goes through and explains a little bit like, okay, guys, so this is really what Paul's saying, and it gives you some of the history behind what Paul's saying, and it just kind of clarifies things for you. So um, definitely go check it out if you're struggling with Paul, but Basically, Paul's just telling the saints there in Corinth, hey, you need to have pity upon your brothers who are not doing so well in Jerusalem and, you know, help take care of them. We're all one big family, right? And so what inspires you about Paul's counsel? I think, again, it goes back to intent. Intent has been a big thing I've really been thinking about this week. Because if we look right here in 11, he says, now, therefore, perform the doing of it. So do the thing. That is, there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there first be a willing mind, do I want to do this? What is my intent? It is accepted according to that that a man hath, and not according to that he not hath not. I like that because God does not require more from us than we can give. And that's what Paul's saying. And he's saying, intend that you give with a glad heart, that you are a cheerful giver, and God will not ask you or expect you to give more than you are able to. And even in 13, he goes on to say, other men's burdens shouldn't be eased and you should be burdened because of that. You know, come follow me asks, you might pray for guidance about what you can do to bless someone in need and be sure to record any impressions you receive and act on them. One of the things that really came to my mind as I was pondering upon this this week was I was actually thinking of you guys and how I could talk to you guys about giving. Um, and one of the questions that has, as a parent, been a big concern in my mind for a long time is how do I show my son the importance of giving service? And how do I show my son gratitude for what we have by exposing him to situations where we can serve others who are not as blessed as we are and show him and model for him compassion and love for those who we don't even know but who we can still serve. And so that's something that I feel very strongly about and I've felt very strongly about all along. But as you guys know, those of you who have young kids, when you have young kids, it can be really hard to find service opportunities. Um, like you don't want to go serve in, I guess, like a soup kitchen with like a toddler running around because what if they get snatched? Like that's always my big concern, right? Um, and so it can be hard to find those opportunities. So for those of you with kids, here are some spots where I have found that has been really good experiences to teach my kid about giving and about giving service to others. Some ways that we have found. One of the ways that we have found to do this is to sign up to be one of those bell ringers 
for the Salvation Army. Um, if you look in your local community here in Huntsville, they have a sign-up genius, and you just sign up for the community area that the bell ringer is going to be in, and you sign up, you contact the person, they contact you, they tell you where to go get the box and everything, and you just sit out there, you sing Christmas songs, and you ring the bells there at Christmas time. And then we can talk about, like, okay, so this is what the Salvation Army does, this is what these people are giving money for, like, this is how it helps. That was a really good way for us to kind of raise some awareness about what Salvation army does with my son. Um, another place that was really good for us to serve when he was younger was we have the Toys for Tots program. I don't know if you have Toys for Tots where you guys live, but it is a place where they gather up toys and then they go and they give it to children in need. And so before Christmas, I would take him to Toys R Us and we'd go in and he'd be like, oh, I want all the toys. I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. You know, I mean, you know, typical like five-year-old kid behavior like I want them all right and so I told him okay we're gonna pick out two toys we're gonna pick out a toy that you really really want for a boy and then we're gonna pick out a toy I really 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 want that I think a girl would like and so we went in we picked out a toy that he really 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 wanted that would be good for a boy we picked out a toy I really 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 wanted for a girl and then we gave them to toys for tots and it was really hard for him to, I think he picked out like a race car. And it was really hard for him to let that remote control race car go because he really wanted that for himself. But when I told him it's going to a kid who does not have nearly as many toys as you, you're going to get so much for Christmas. Like you can let this one thing go. And, you know, we walked up to the Marines. They're in full dress uniform. They're near a courthouse and we put it in their box. And, um, you know, it was a, it was an experience for him, I think. Um, another way that we have found ways to serve our community and check because you may have a program like this in your community and it is so cool and it also it helps with their literacy so you know big thumbs up for that um, our local humane society has a program called pause for reading and what you do is it's for kids especially like younger kids who are in elementary school I think you have to be in third grade or up to do this but um, you go you do like a little training kind of thing you as a parent have to be with the child at all times but you go in and the kids read out loud books, picture books, chapter books. I read Harry Potter. Um, you read them out loud to the animals. And the service that you're giving to those animals is you're getting them used to human voices so that they're not constantly in the environment of the shelter where they're hearing shelter noises and then a human walks in and they go crazy, right? You want them to be used to human voices, to the cadence of human voices, and to having people around so that they don't lose like that love of people. They don't lose that inter interdependence that makes them good pets when someone does come to adopt them. And so we did that. We we particularly love the cat room at our Humane Society. They have a room where they've got all the kittens and cats and stuff in cages, but then they have some free-roaming cats wandering around. So we like to go set up shop in the cat room. We just pull a couple of chairs out, and we sit there and read them Harry Potter. Um, he and I take turns reading to them and playing with the cats, and it's a good time. We also had a time where we were like, okay, we've done cats. Let's go do dogs. And so we went to go read to the dogs, and we pulled our chairs up to this cage, and there was this dog in there. And we started reading to it, and my son was like, I love this dog. I love this dog. And that dog became Kirk, our dog, that now lives in our house. So <laughs> that was kind of a fail. Um, just know that you may come home with a pet. I don't know. You know, just be, be aware of that. But it's also good to go if you cannot have pets or, you know, for whatever reason, or maybe you already have a pet, but you just want to go cuddle with some other pets, you can go do that too. Um, your pets will smell you when you get home and be like, you were cheating on me. Who are you snuggling with? But 
other than that, it's, it's all good. Um, other ways that you can help. Now that my son's gotten a little bit older, he's 13 now, we can go to a place in our community called Mana House where it helps feed the homeless. And Mana House is amazing because they basically let the people who are struggling, anyone who's struggling, come through and you pretty much get to grocery shop. They give them fruits and vegetables. They have like all kinds of bread that's been donated by local restaurants, all kinds of desserts that have been donated by Walmart and local restaurants and stuff like that. And you help these people grocery shop for themselves. Um, you just help fill up their carts and then you help take it out to their cars or whatever it is that they are carrying this off in. And it's a really good way to meet these people, to talk to them and to just engage with them and see like, Hey, this person's not that different from me. You know, um, we actually had a, a primary service day activity a couple of months ago where our primary met together at this manor house, this, um, place. And the kids helped sort stuff out. They helped get bags ready for the people. And then as the people came through, our kids were in charge of the dessert station. They helped them find, you know, whatever pie it was that they were looking for, whatever cake that it was that they were looking for, the cookies that they wanted. Um, and they were able to serve those people in that way. And so I love that because it shows like, you know, the kids taking something that's dear to them, cookies, cakes, pies, right. And giving it to someone in need. It's just really good. I don't know. I love helping kids give. Um, so it's really important to me that we find ways to do that. And another really good way to find ways to do that besides those potential possibilities that I listed. I don't know if you have them in your community or not. But I do know you do have this. Just serve. JustServe.org from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can help you find ways to serve in your community and find ways to help kids serve in your community as well. So you as a family can go to JustServe, check out and see what kind of opportunities are available. Also, just contact local nonprofits. They always need help. They always need extra hands. Even places like nursing homes. Have your family get together and create cards for the people living in the nursing home and send it to them. Send it to them even when there's not a holiday, when it's just like in the middle of summer or whatever, because they get overrun with cards around holidays. That's not a reason not to send them cards, though, by the way. Go ahead and send them cards anyway. But Send them all the time just to cheer them up. Have your kids paint pictures. Send it to them. That's a really good way to also help kids kind of make it better for them. Anyways, so yeah, this, I just, I don't know. I really felt to inspire to talk to you guys about helping kids serve because I just think it's so important. I think it's so important for these kids who are being raised. So many of our kids are being raised in environments where they don't want for things. You know, even more than I can remember when I was growing up, like these kids have at the touch of their fingers all the information in the world. You know, I had to go look it up in an encyclopedia when I was younger. What? Having video games in the car? Like, that would have blown my mind. I had to sit there and stare out the window, right? It sounds like I'm saying, like, I had to walk two miles to school in the snow uphill both ways. But no, I'm just talking about, like, our daily lives were a little bit more of a struggle than what our kids currently go through day by day. They have a lot of things that are a whole lot easier for them than we have or even our parents had. So I think it's good for them to be reminded that not everybody has it this easy. Um, and not everybody lives the same way that they do. And that's okay. And we can, you know, form bonds with the people who do not live the same way we do and um, to really give them service. So those are just some ways that I found. So that, that's really kind of, I didn't answer the question that Come Follow Me asked. I'm sorry. But that's really what was on my mind this week. So that's kind of where I went. Okay, so this next little bit doesn't really have to do with anything in the Come Follow Me book. Um, it's just something I think is interesting historically. And it was in the reading this week. So Paul 
In 2 Corinthians 10, he starts talking to the Corinthian saints because they are saying, hey, when this guy writes his letters, he's like really terrifying and like really speaks very well and is very eloquent. But when he comes down to talk to us, he like does not seem to be very smart and very well spoken. And we even read in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. And again, later on in 2 Corinthians 10, it says that I may not seem as I would terrify you by letters, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. So they're saying, hey, this guy, Paul, he writes to us and he sounds really good. But when we see him in real life, he is not very impressive. Okay. So I feel a little bit of kinship with Paul in this because I feel like when I talk or in person, like first take kind of in person, because y'all are hearing multiple takes here in this podcast and lots of editing, um, but in like just on, on the fly, on my feet, I am not necessarily the brightest bulb in the box. Like I don't tend to think very quickly on my feet. Um, I have to think things through very deeply and Paul may have been the same way. But beyond that, let's talk about what Paul was like in um, real life, like what he looked like. Um, Christianity Today has an article titled, Bald, Blind, and Single. And they're describing Paul. Okay, so that tells you a little bit. Um, He was bald-headed, bow-legged, short man with a big nose, an unbroken eyebrow that lay across his forehead like a dead caterpillar. Now, that's a paraphrase. (laughs) It's from the only physical description that they have. We have a different one, but that they have of Paul the only physical description of Paul in an early Christian document called the Acts of Paul. A more literal translation of this description in this document reads, a man of middling size and his hair was scanty and his legs were a little crooked, his knees were far apart and he had large eyes, his eyebrows met and his nose was somewhat long, which I think sounds a little bit more tactful than um, what Christianity Today had started out with. And they go on to say that he probably wasn't married. I don't know where they get the blind thing from. I think Paul did suffer from some eye strain. Um, But yeah, that's neither here nor there. Now, we have a second testimony about what Paul looks like. We have a source from Joseph Smith. And from the teachings of Joseph Smith, he actually gives us a description of Paul. He says he's about five feet high, so he's short, dark complexion, dark skin, a large Roman nose. Okay, that squares away with the, the early Christian church said. Sharp face, small black eyes, penetrating as eternity round shoulders, a whining voice, except when elevated, and then it almost resembles the roaring of a lion. So, interesting. So, Paul was obviously not the most attractive person in the world. Um, He was obviously a little bit shorter, um, small. His hair was scant, and he had a unibrow, right? So, in person, he was just not very impressive. And Joseph Smith even says that his voice was kind of whiny. So, maybe his voice was not very impressive either, unless he was roaring, and then he was like a lion, right? So, I could see why Paul would be much better represented by writing. I feel like when I'm trying to communicate, I represent myself much better by writing via email or text or whatever than I do actually speaking. And so I feel that. I feel you, Paul, on that. And so that's kind of what he's addressing here, where he's like, the Corinthian saints were kind of like, what? He writes these letters and he's amazing, but then he comes to talk to us and we're kind of like, what? So, you know. I just thought that was interesting, so I wanted to share that with you guys about Paul from 2 Corinthians 10. All right, next section in Come Follow Me, false prophets seek to deceive. 
And it talks about how there are false prophets and apostles that had risen among the Corinthian saints in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13. Um, what do you learn from verses 13 through 15 about those who teach false doctrines? And we learn there, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So, what Paul's saying there is that Satan loves to trap us by wrapping a lie in truth. Um, so, a lot of times, I think those false apostles, deceitful workers that he's talking about there, they may have had a thread of truth kind of to what they were saying, but there was also a lie intertwined in there. So we need to be on the lookout for that, which by the way, guys, I said this in some of my earlier episodes, but I'm going to say it again. I am so concerned about being one of these people. I don't ever want to lead anybody astray. So if I ever say anything that goes against the church or that goes against anything the prophet or apostles or anyone else says, don't listen to me. Listen to the scriptures. Listen to the prophet. Listen to the apostles. Take their advice. Take their word, their counsel over anything I say. What I'm saying is like opinion and gospel according to Lexi, and I am so far down on the list of like important people, don't listen to me. Okay. I don't want to become one of these and I'm trying very hard not to. I'm trying very hard to stay true to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. But I just want to say that, uh, put that caveat out there that I do not want to be one of these people. So I do not want to lead you away from the church or from our prophet or from Jesus Christ. So make sure that you stay close to him. All right, next one. <laughs> Having said all that, I have a little bit of a criticism with this next section and come follow me. Uh, it says, I should examine my faithfulness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, because there are so many who seek to lead us away from the simplicity that is in Christ, you might accept Paul's invitation to examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. For example, you might ponder what you can eliminate from your life that will help you focus on Christ, or you might complete the attribute activity and preach my gospel. Well, the whole seeing what you can eliminate from your life and ponder upon that, I do that weekly. So I'm like, yes, I am all for that. Figure out what you need to change. What lack I yet? What do I need to focus on? Where does my focus need to be this week? Lord, inspire me like where I need to go. My bone to pick with this particular paragraph was the attribute activity and preach my gospel. At first, I was like, yes, this is awesome. I want to check it out. And it's it starts out and it's really good. It has like a checklist of like ways that you can believe in Jesus Christ. And it keeps going and going and going and going and going and going forever. And I started going down and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so overwhelming to me. I, I find so many ways that my faith is lacking. I find so many different ways that I am imperfect. I find, and it would just like, like overrode my system. So if you tend to find yourself easily discouraged by stuff like that, um, I would probably actually tell you to stay away from the attribute activity. It's a little bit overwhelming. Also a little bit checklisty for me, um, kind of pharisaical checklisty. So again, I don't want to lead you away from Christ. If you feel like that's going to bring you closer to Christ, go for it guys, just go for it. But just a warning, like I guess a, um, a general warning that if you tend to be discouraged by lists like this, I would probably stay away from that. It did have some good suggestions on there, but the first part of this paragraph says, from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that is my whole point of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all about simplicity. It's not about giant long checklists. It's about simplicity. And where is my faith? My faith is in Jesus Christ. My faith is in following Jesus Christ. My faith is following the prophet. My faith is following the book of Mormon. And the things that I know are restored truths of the gospel. And that's my faith. It's not in a checklist. So 
there's there's my little soapbox for that particular section. Stepping off now. All right. What is the third heaven and who is the man that was caught up in it? Um, Paul's talking about himself. And so you can read a little bit more about that. I'm just going to kind of skip over that because I don't have much to say about that. What I do have a lot to say about, so much to say about, guys, is this next part, which is the Savior's grace is sufficient to help me find strength in my weakness. Guys. Oh my gosh. The reason I have so much to say about this is because a couple weeks ago, you know, Paul's all about some grace. And we had the assignment a couple weeks ago that was all about grace. It was grace, 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 grace. Everywhere is grace. And we sat in Sunday school and we started talking about it. And the conversation that we had in Sunday school didn't quite go the way that I had hoped it would. And it really made me think that we still have such a long way to go as a church and as a culture and understanding grace. So I really wanted to talk to you guys about grace and what grace is and give you an example of some ways that I thought of an analogy of grace and things like that. But first, Paul and his thorn in the flesh. Um, Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. And let's read exactly what he says. We're in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, and I'm going to read a little bit more. But in 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right. This, oh guys, I cannot even like, whew, I'm overwhelmed right now just even thinking about this. Um, so much of the time in our church culture, we have an all or nothing mentality. We have to be perfect or we're going to hell. Like, I mean, that's literally, I think, sometimes what gets beaten into us from a really young age. That's not how grace works. I don't want anyone to think about that. And, like, I think we get so caught up in the works mentality of things, the checking off of boxes and the checking off of lists, that we sometimes lose people who feel like they cannot ever be this good. They can't ever be good enough. They're trying to earn their way into heaven and they're not going to make it. Because guess what? None of us are. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. We're in some really good company, guys, because no one is good enough. So that's why we need grace in our lives. None of us are perfect. And also, I will tell you a secret. Perfection is pending. Perfection is not going to happen in this life. We are never going to be perfect in this life. It happens after the next life. Dieter F. Uchtdorf has a really good quote about this in his talk, The Gift of Grace. He says, I marvel to think that the Son of God would condescend to save us as imperfect, as impure, as mistake-prone, as ungrateful as we often are. I have tried to understand the Savior's atonement with my finite mind, and the only explanation I can come up is with this. God loves us deeply perfectly and everlastingly. I cannot even begin to estimate the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of the love of Christ. A powerful expression of that love is what the scriptures often call the grace of God, the divine assistance and endowment of strength by which we grow from the flawed and limited beings we are now into the exalted beings of truth and light until we are glorified in truth and know all things. It is a most wondrous thing, this grace of God, yet is often misunderstood. Even so, we should know about God's grace if we intend to inherit what he has prepared for us in his eternal kingdom. 
So what? why are we in here? Why are we making mistakes? Well, because Paul says it right here. He says he's taking pleasure in his infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake because when he is weak, then he is strong. When he is weak, when he is struggling, when he is going through hard things, that's when Christ is with him. And that's what grace does. And I have been so like caught up in this whole grace thing that I'm supposed to speak in a sacrament meeting in like two weeks in the Montesana ward. So if you are in the Montesana ward, go ahead and tune out now. I know there's like five of you so that are listening to this. So go ahead and tune out. You're going to hear this in a, a couple weeks anyways. But I've been putting together all these thoughts on grace because that's what I want my talk to be about. And so I've been reading a lot of Dieter F. Uchtdorf's talk, The Gift of Grace. I've been reading a lot of Bruce C. Hafen. I've been reading a lot of Dallin H. Oaks about grace, Brad Wilcox about grace. There's like all kinds of different talks out there about grace that are amazing because grace takes our weaknesses and it takes our imperfections and makes us better than we ever could have been on our own. And here's my analogy for you. I thought this analogy through and I'm like, I'm really kind of proud of it. Okay. So my son was in American Ninja Warrior training a couple years ago. And for those of you who don't know what American Ninja Warrior is, it's like a big obstacle course thing and you have to be like really in shape to do it. And they've got all kinds of different obstacles. You got to swing from like six foot apart monkey bars. You got to climb ropes. You got to, you know, go up these ramp things. You got to climb up walls. And I mean, it's, it's fairly intense. And so my son, who's always been very athletic, someone recommended like, hey, if you want to work on his agility and just his overall strength, this ninja warrior training thing is really good. And we were like, okay, sounds good. So we found a gym here in town. In our town, there's a gym that actually does ninja warrior training. And so he started working out there. Well, one of the obstacles that he was working on is this ramp. And the ramp, I'm saying it's a ramp, but it's really more kind of like a curved 90 degree angle. And what you do is you kind of run up the bottom of this 90 degree angle and you get as as high as you can with enough speed as you can. And then you kind of jump and you got to reach towards the top and kind of grab onto this ledge. And so that is the idea. Well, my son started working on this obstacle. And so, you know, he's running up the little ramp or whatever to get to the part where he's jumping and he's running and he jumps, he kind of splats into the side of this like 90 degree angle thing and kind of just like slides down. So run and splat, run and splat, run and splat over and over and over again. And the coach is there. The coach is there just kind of watching him. And I'm kind of like at the point where I'm like, coach, step in, like do something, like help him. He's just like sliding down this, this ramp thing. Like, come on. I'm watching the coach, watch him. The coach is just kind of watching him, just kind of letting him, you know, slide down and everything. After a while, I go up and I talk to the coach. I'm like, is there something he needs to do to kind of improve this? And the coach kind of just looked at me totally unconcerned. And he said, no, he's learning how to fall. I was like, huh? he said, when you do this particular obstacle, you have to be very careful how you fall. Because if you get your feet under you, like, you know, after you splat, you could possibly fall backwards and kind of tumble backwards and hit your head. You want to be able to throw your weight forwards. So you splat against the side of this ramp and then you've got your weight forward. So you fall down kind of like on your, you slide instead of like tumbling backwards, which is what you would do if your weight was thrown backwards. So he's learning how to fall. He's also learning how to, after something hurts or after he fails, get back up again. Okay. So pause in that analogy. Let's go back to our spiritual lives. I'm sitting in sacrament meeting week after week, 
repenting for being impatient. I'm so impatient. I lose my patience all the time. So I feel like I'm constantly running up that ramp and jumping as hard as I can and splat face first into the side of the ramp and then sliding back down over and over and over again. And I get to the point sometimes where I'm like, God, what is even the point of all of this? Like, why are you making me do this? Because I don't think I'm ever going to get this patience thing right. I just don't think I'm ever going to be good enough. And there have been times where I've thought, what's the point? What's the point in even trying? Because I'm never going to get this right. And this is where I think it's so important that we have the correct mental image of grace. Because when people get to that point and they don't truly understand grace, they leave the church. Because what's the point in ever getting it right? I'm never going to be good enough. And they walk away. They get discouraged. That's not what grace is about. Because you see, while my son is back there running up this ramp and hitting face first into the side of the ramp and then sliding back down, he's learning how to fall. I'm learning how to fail in patience. Oh, yes, I am. But I'm also learning that when I fail in patience, I get back up and I get into sacrament meeting and I repent. I'm learning how to recover from that. Dieter F. Uchtdorf has a really good quote about this. Many people feel discouraged because they constantly fall short. They're splatting and they're falling down the ramp. That's me, not Uchtdorf. But now Uchtdorf continues. They know firsthand that the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. They raise their voices with Nephi in proclaiming, My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am certain Nephi knew that the Savior's grace allows and enables us to overcome sin. This is why Nephi labored so diligently to persuade his children and brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. After all, this is what we can do. And that is our task in mortality, to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. Now, we believe in Christ. We know who he is. We believe he is the Son of God. But do we believe him when he says he can save us in our sins? Do we believe him when he says he can help us when we are imperfect or when we are struggling? That is my big question that I have to ask myself all the time. I believe in my Savior. Do I believe him when he says, come to me and I will help you and I will give you rest? And so that's something I struggle with personally. And that's what my son was learning there too. I'm learning to go to my father in heaven and plead for forgiveness and plead for strength not to do that again, to not splat again. And then when I do splat again, I'm learning endurance. I'm learning to come back up and try and try and try again. And that's what my son was learning when he was doing all that splatting against the side of the ramp, right? The next time we come to Ninja Warrior training, you know, he's trying the ramp again. He's going up, splat, falling back down, going up, splat, falling back down. But I start to notice that as he's doing this, he's inching, like, I'm not even inching, like centimetering, like so tiny increments, like slowly, slowly. He's getting a little bit higher each time he reaches his hand up and splats, right? Still nowhere near the top. Like he's like two feet maybe from the top, but still, I mean, there's, there's like little teeny tiny gains that he's making. And I think back to my time sitting in sacrament meeting and I'm like, okay, so I only lost my patience three times this week with my husband instead of, you know, five, like I normally do. So there's that little gain there. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but that's where the atonement of Jesus Christ comes in. He forgives me and he lets me try again. And I learned to come back to him and I learned to come back to him and let his grace heal me from the sin that I've committed and let it try to make me better next time. Well, the second time that we were there that he was attempting this obstacle over and over again that I noticed he was starting to make gains, 
I go over to the coach and I'm like, so how's he doing? Like kind of talk me through this. And the coach said, well, you know, it might help if he has different shoes. He needs shoes that have this certain grip on the bottom of it so he can really get going. And I'm like, okay, we'll get the shoes. And so, you know, later on after that particular training session, we go, we find the shoes, we get his shoes ready, comes back again to train, you know, the next training session. And yeah, this time he's going higher on the ramp. I'm like, yes, this is good. And that is what I like to liken the grace of Christ that we see in the Bible dictionary is called the enabling power. When we put our very best effort into whatever it is that we are fighting, and when we ask for the grace of Jesus Christ to be with us, it enables us to get higher on that ramp than we ever were able to get before. And those little grips on his shoes, yeah, they shot him up like a good another foot or so. He was able to get way higher with those shoes than he was on his own. Dieter F. Uchtdorf continues, The miracle of the atonement is not just that we can live after we die, but that we can live more abundantly. The miracle of the atonement is not just that we can be cleansed and consoled, but that we can be transformed, and grace gives us the power through the atonement to accomplish this work. Through grace and the atonement of our Savior, we can become more and more like our Savior and our Father in heaven day by day as we apply the atonement in our lives, as we apply grace in our lives. And that's the first part part of grace. Grace has two parts. And that's the first part, the enabling power that we get from our relationship with Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. It helps us get a little bit higher on that ramp than we would on our own. Maybe instead of yelling at my husband and kid five times, now I'm only yelling at them two. Like, that's the grace of Jesus Christ right there, you know, saving me from losing my mind. That's the enabling power. Well, I'm starting to notice, okay, so he's making more gains, more centimetering, like up the wall, right? But he's still like a good couple of feet from the edge. And I'm looking at him and the height that he is, and I'm looking at the top, that ledge, and I'm just thinking like, he's not going to make it. Like, there's no way he's not going to be able to do this. Even to the point where I'm like, man, I need to go talk to the coach. And I'm like, and y'all are going to think I'm like a helicopter parent because I'm like so involved in this. But no, this was really like, this was over a course of weeks. That I'm like, okay, well, let him struggle. I'm all about the struggling, but I'm seeing the kid get like discouraged. I'm getting discouraged. I'm like past discouraged. And, you know, so... No, this wasn't over the course of like a day or two. This was like weeks that this was going on that he kept trying. And so the coach is like, no, I'm, I'm going to let him keep kind of struggling at this. And I think our father in heaven has the same kind of approach. He lets us struggle on stuff so that we come to him. Elder Bruce C. Hafen has written, The great mediator asks for our repentance, not because we must repay him in exchange for paying our debt to justice, but because repentance initiates a developmental process that, with the Savior's help, leads us along the path to saintly character. Dallin H. Oaks has said, The repenting sinner must suffer for his sins, but the suffering has a different purpose than punishment or payment. The purpose of repentance is change. If everything were perfect, if everything was right in our lives, would we come to him nearly as much as we do? Paul had to have that thorn in his flesh so that he would come to Christ. I mean, that's that's really, and we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, by the way. Um, there's lots of theories out there, but I think it's specifically let, left vague so that we can all feel kind of a kinship with Paul um, to know that, you know, whatever it was, we have something similar to Paul's thorn in the flesh. 
Anyways, back to Ninja Warrior training. I'm watching my son. He's getting higher and higher. He's got these shoes. They're awesome. And finally, like after, I would say probably like a month of this, this struggling, this like slowly getting higher and higher, but still like so much further away from his goal of getting to that little ledge at the top and being able to pull himself up. Like, I mean, we're still feet away from that. Um, The coach goes up to the top and he lays down on top of the ledge and he extends his arms down. And my son goes and he runs up the ramp and he does his little jump. And he grabs the arms of the coach and the coach pulls him up onto the ledge. That is the second part of the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ enables us to run up that ramp to do things that were not normally in our power. And then it reaches down and it pulls us up. And that may not happen in this life. I may still be to the very last day of my life praying for forgiveness for being impatient. And that is going to be just like my cross to bear, I think. But... At the end of this life, when I sit across from my Heavenly Father and my Savior, and they say, Lexi, what did you learn in this life? I'm going to be able to look at them and say, I learned about patience. You know, I have talents and gifts and things that I'm really good at, and that's not something I think I'm going to mention. I don't think I'm going to talk about any of those, because I have had a master study class in patience. I've learned all the different ways I can try to be patient. I've learned about all the different ways to fall in being patient. I've learned all the different ways my Savior was patient and all the different ways that His grace can enable me to be patient in situations I never thought would be possible. Y'all, I worked with middle schoolers for six years. Talk about some grace. Like, I work now with elementary school kids. You gotta have some patience when you work with kids, right? And so I have His grace with me every single day as I go to work to work with these kids. Um, I know I do because I'm not that patient on my own. And so I think he's giving us a master class in whatever our thorn in our side is. Because here's the thing. We're not saved by grace. We are changed by grace. We're not earning heaven. We are learning heaven. Sometimes I think we get confused about the after all we can do. And Elder Bruce C. Hafen has written, The Savior's gift of grace to us is not necessarily limited in time to after all we can do. We may receive his grace before, during, and after the time where we expend our own best efforts, where we splat and fall down. So grace is not a booster engine that kicks in once our fuel supply is exhausted. This is Brad Wilcox. Rather, it is a constant energy source. It is not the light at an end of a tunnel, but the light that moves us through the tunnel. Grace is not achieved somewhere down the road. It is received right here and right now. It is not a finishing touch. It is the finisher's touch. That is the point of this life, is to be changed by the grace of Jesus Christ from something unholy and impure to something holy and pure because of his love and because of his touch on our lives. And this whole trek towards perfection and the whole application of grace doesn't happen all in this life. This is like half of it. This is the first act. The second act of his grace happens after this life. So this isn't do or die. We can be all in and still be imperfect. We can love Christ with our whole soul and still be imperfect. That's okay. We don't need to fall away from the church just because we keep splatting up against the wall. Because let me tell you what happened to my son in this American Ninja Warrior story. Okay? So he keeps running up the ramp. The coach has finally grabbed him. He's lifting him up onto the ledge. You know, and the coach, bless his heart, does this like, you know, 15 different times each training session. And I notice my son getting higher. And higher, and I'm talking after like the course of like three plus months or so of like this going on. Finally, he gets all the way up, 
and he gets one hand up there on the ledge, and he grabbed it on his own, and he was able to swing his other hand up there, and he was able to push himself up onto the top of that ledge because he had had this experience and the help of a coach who knew how to do it, who had done it before, who had run that same ramp, who had had that same experience. He knew how to coach my son through this obstacle. And so once my son learned this obstacle and mastered this obstacle, you know, I got it on my phone. We were really excited. We shared it with grandparents and everything. It was awesome. And then he gets back down. And so he's like, okay, coach, what's next? And coach just points to the ramp that's right next to it, which is about three to four feet higher. And he gets started on that one. And that's like our life. We accomplish something through the grace of Jesus Christ and we finally get it right. And there's always another thorn in our side to keep us coming back to Christ and to keep applying the grace of Jesus Christ in our life. So just because you're messing up, it doesn't mean you are a lost cause. I have a friend who, and she knows I was probably going to use this story because I tell her everything she talks to me about is going to be used in the podcast. Um, But she was talking about sitting in sacrament meeting one day and she was just, you know, in her mind, just how do I keep messing up over and over again? And it was something silly. I think like she was fighting with her mom that she kept doing and she kept having to repent of. And she said she was just like almost the point where she's having a panic attack because she had this image in her mind of like a water fountain or something and like a big kid being in front of it and drinking all the water and like Like, she had gone and used up all of God's grace. Like, that was kind of the image in her mind. Like, she had repented so many times of this, and it was just one time too many, and God would not forgive her this next time because she had just used up all his grace. And she was about to have a panic attack there in the chapel, right? She knew that was the adversary. She knew that wasn't her father in heaven. But her father in heaven then spoke to her in a language that she would understand. He reminded her of this little coupon card that she had when she was at BYU. And I think she said it had, like, unlimited toppings at one of our the ice cream places that's out there in Provo. And it was like a little, like, student card or something that she could go and she could use. And it was unlimited the amount of times that she could go and get toppings on her ice cream. And she was like a poor, starving, married student at the time. And so the unlimited toppings on her ice cream was like the bomb, right? And she used that thing like a couple times a week, like the entire time she was there at BYU. And so that image comes to her in her mind like, no, grace isn't limited. It's not a like canteen of water that's going to run out. It's like that unlimited ice cream topping card that you can use over and over and over and over again. There is no limit to the grace of Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend this morning um, who was telling me, kind of unburdening some of the weight that she was carrying in her, her heart. And one of the things that she was talking about is she had just been brought up in this culture that she felt that if she fell, if she you know did something wrong, that that was it. It was over. And I'm so glad that I got to talk to her about that because that is the entire thing that I'm so concerned that we believe in. And even, you know, if we don't say that outright, I still feel like sometimes we implicate it in the things that we do or some of the comments that we say to each other, you know, you're not good enough or you're not doing this good enough or this person's not doing this good enough. And no one's ever going to be good enough because we are not the Savior and we are not Jesus Christ. So we need to extend grace to others too, as well as ourselves, but especially to ourselves, because I think we tend to be very, very hard on ourselves as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that (laughs) is my big, long spiel on grace. Um, yeah, so I feel very strongly about grace, that we are here in this life, here on earth, not to be perfect, 
perfection is pending, like Russell M. Nelson says. Perfection is pending. We are here in this life to learn. And you cannot learn without making mistakes. That's why we have a Savior. That's why He's here. That's why we have repentance and we have an atonement that will lift us up to that ledge on the ramp. And it will help us get back up again when we fall and we splat. It'll be the shoes that motivate us and spring us up to where we need to be. But it will always be there for us. We don't ever need to give up. And I know that's hard. And I think, honestly, guys, for our kids, it's going to start to be harder and harder. I see in my students a lot of times, they have a hard time struggling with things. Um, if something doesn't come right away very easy to them, they give up and they're like, oh, I, don't want, I didn't want to do it anyway, so I don't want to do it. And so that ability to be able to go back and run up that ramp and splat over and over and over again is something that I fear very greatly that our kids are going to start missing. So this is something we've got to be preaching to our kids from a very young age, that it is okay to mess up. That's why we have a Savior. It's okay to mess up. We repent. And repentance isn't about being bad. Repentance is about learning to come closer to your Savior, to putting yourself closer to your Savior. That's what repentance is about. It's about love. And that's what we've got to tell our kids um, and encourage them to try over and over again. It's one of the reasons we did the warrior training is because it was so hard for him. And he did have to try over and over and over again and build up that endurance and that ability to fail and then get back up again, to go through something that hurts and then get back up again. Now, eventually he did fall and break his elbow and it hurt and he did not get back up again from that. We moved on to football. But for a while, the American Ninja Warrior training was a very instructive experience for us. All right, so that is my soapbox rant on Grace. Um, and I know that took most of the episode, but I just feel like it's so important. And with that, we are going to end this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for enduring all my talk about Grace. I just think it's so important. And I hope you guys have an awesome week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.